why can Jesus be closer to us now than when he was here? When he was here, he could sit by our side, but through the Holy Spirit, he can live where? In our hearts. This is Hope Lives 365 with Pastor Mark Finley. Today's message, Receiving the Spirit, Part 1. Enjoy, and remember you can always catch up with past messages and stay up to date with Hope Lives 365 and Pastor Mark by going to hopelives365.com. And now, Pastor Mark Finley. I want you to begin to grasp the reality of that promise. Jesus, you want to be closer to me than when you were here personally. You want to be closer to me than when you walked the dusty streets of Galilee 2,000 years ago. Lord, you want to live in my heart in a way that reveals to me your grace, your goodness, your power. So we looked at the promise of the Spirit, the promise that Jesus would dwell in our hearts, the promise that Christ would be closer to us now than when we were, than when he was here. We looked at the personality of the Holy Spirit. We've said the, the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit is not an it, it is not a thing, and that makes all the difference. If you believe the Holy Spirit is an influence or power, you want to use the power. Was there somebody like that in the Bible? They wanted to use the power of God. Simon Magus, you remember, wanted to use the power. If the Holy Spirit is a power or an influence, we want to use it. If the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead, we want him to use us. And there's a big difference. We've seen that the work of, that our lives can only be transformed and the work of God on earth only finished as the Holy Spirit is poured out through us. That was our first session. In this session, we're looking at the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? This afternoon, very powerful presentations this afternoon. The counterfeit and genuine manifestation of the Holy Spirit. What about miracles this afternoon? How can you tell true and false miracles? I'll give you biblical tests for them. How can you tell signs and wonders, true or false? What about the gift of tongues? How do you deal with 1 Corinthians chapter 14 that deals with the gift of tongues? Um, We're going to look at that verse by verse this afternoon and uh, do some very serious Bible studies. So all afternoon we're dealing with true and false manifestations of the Holy Spirit in two sessions, 2.30 to 3.30, and then 3.45 to 4.45. Then tomorrow, I'm dealing with the early and latter rain, uh, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the latter rain, and how to receive the latter rain, and then we're going to deal with the sanctuary and the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in the sanctuary. So we'll do that tomorrow. This morning... We're going to finish up the morning by looking at the baptism of the Holy Spirit. and Let's pray. Father, as we enter into this topic on the baptism of fire, I pray that our hearts would be baptized with fire. I pray that the outpouring of your Spirit would come. And may this group of young people in GYC be the vanguard group. May they be a group who lead out in a mighty spiritual revival here. May there be prayer bands and rooms. May sins be confessed to you and to one another if we've wronged one another. May our hearts be made right with you. May those habits in our lives that we have indulged in, that in our heart of hearts we know are contrary to your will, may they be gone and crushed. Father... Do something in us so you can do something through us. Do something for us so you can do something with us. May the fruits of the Spirit be manifest in our lives so the gifts of the Spirit can be manifest in our witness. And Lord, we open our hearts to you just now. 
Teach us about the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Christ's name. Amen. <coughs> they were evil men at an evil time in an evil generation. They were immoral men at an immoral time in an immoral generation. The rich oppressed the poor, and the poor trampled on one another to try to eke out a meager existence. It was a time of pleasure-seeking. It was a time of sexual immorality. It was a time of formal religion. It was a time of great spiritual darkness. Then he appeared. He was a straight-talking, no-nonsense, bearded prophet out in the Judean hills. His name was John the Baptist. He didn't have any theological degrees. He did not have any high education. Not that those things are wrong. He just didn't have any. He was not part of the religious establishment. Not that that's wrong, but he just wasn't. But this one thing he had, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And when he spoke, people's lives were transformed. And they came by the thousands to hear him speak. Let's listen in and look in on one of his strongest appeals. It's found in Matthew, the third chapter. Matthew, chapter 3. And we look there in Matthew, chapter 3, and listen to the words of John the Baptist. Matthew 3, verse 11. Matthew 3, verse 11. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So John the Baptist talks about something more than formal religion. He talks about something more than ritual, something more than the pomp of the Pharisees. He's talking about something more than Sabbath observance and health reform and something more than all of that. Something more than all of these externals. One thing about young people is they want authenticity. Amen. They want something that's real and genuine. Amen. Young people can smell a fake a thousand miles right. away. <laughs> you might be able to pull the wool over the eyes of the adult but you can't do that with youth. They want authenticity. They want that which is real and genuine and authentic. And that's what John is speaking about here. John is saying to Jewish Pharisees that understood doctrinal truth, but whose lives were not transformed by the infilling of the Holy Spirit. John was saying, he, Jesus, is going to come, and he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, notice it does not say he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit or with fire. See, it's not either you, you're going to either be baptized with the Holy Spirit or you're going to be burned in fire. No, that's not what it says. It says he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit, what? and with fire. In other words, you need to be baptized with the fire of the Spirit now so you're not consumed with the fire of God's presence at end time. See, that's his issue here because he makes that transition. And he talks about, in verse 12, 
his winnowing fan is in his hand, and he'll thoroughly purge his threshing floor and gather his wheat unto the barn, but he'll burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. In other words, you ought to be baptized with fire so you're not consumed with unquenchable fire. He, he's making a play on words. Now, often in the Eastern thought, you say something with one phrase, and you explain it with the second phrase. So here, in verse 11, the baptism with fire... The baptism of the Holy Spirit is baptism with fire. Now the question is, why does he use fire as a symbol of the Holy Spirit here? Are there other symbols of the Holy Spirit in the Bible? Yes. Give me some examples of symbols of the Holy Spirit. Wind, oil, dove, water, manna. Okay, so you have, a ver- but particularly wind, oil, water, the dove is a symbol of the Spirit. Why does he talk about baptism with fire? Why does he use that? And what is fire a symbol of in the Bible? Let's go back to the book of Genesis. And I want to take you through the Old Testament and really catch the richness of the symbolism of fire and then discuss what this baptism of fire is and how to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of fire. So we've seen now that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is also the baptism of fire. And we're asking ourselves the question, why use fire? And then we want to apply that to our own lives. We're going to Genesis chapter 1. And let me give you the conclusion before we prove it. Sometimes that's what the biblical prophets did. They'd give the conclusion at the beginning of the text and then prove it. Fire represents God's glory, God's presence, and God's power. And that's what I'm going to show you through the Old Testament. Fire represents God's glory, God's presence, and God's power. So when the Bible talks about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and it's talking about the baptism of fire, it's talking about a baptism in God's glory, God's presence, and God's power. What is another word for baptism? Immersion. So, the baptism of fire, by definition, and I'm giving you the conclusion, then I'm going to work up to the conclusion. The baptism of fire, baptism is what, everybody? Immersion. And what does fire represent? God's what? Glory, His presence, and His power. So, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, follow me now, is not the gift of tongues. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is immersion in God's glory, immersion in God's presence, and immersion in God's power. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, in God's glory, of course, it's in God's, the the glory of His character, the glory of His truth, everything that glory represents. So let's go back to Genesis, and we're going to try to discover from the Old Testament this symbolism of fire. Genesis 1, verse 24. Genesis 1, verse 24. This is the first mention of fire. Actually, it is Genesis chapter 3 and verse 24. Genesis 3 verse 24. This is the first mention of fire in the Bible. When do we have this mention of fire in the Bible? What's going on here? Adam and Eve are leaving the garden. And the Bible says, Genesis chapter 3, verse 24, So he drove out the man, and he placed the cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden, and a flaming sword, which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. What did the flaming sword represent? 
the presence and glory of God that would not let Adam and Eve come back to take of the tree of life. Are you with me? We'll be right back with Pastor Mark Finley. We thank you for listening and hope you're enjoying today's message. Our mission is to attractively present the Christ-centered biblical truths of Scripture in a practical, relevant way to people around the world so that they may experience the abundant life that Christ offers and effectively share with confidence His life-changing truths with others. You can support this ministry and help us reach even more by going to hopelives365.com slash donate. And now, back to Pastor Mark Finley. So the first mention of fire is the presence and glory of God. We go to the next mention, the book of Exodus, chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. And we're looking there at the experience of Moses wandering in the wilderness. And as Moses wanders in the wilderness... He comes to a bush. Now, just a little aside on this story. How long did Moses wander in the wilderness? Forty years. How old was he when he went into the wilderness? Forty. What event led Moses into the wilderness? He he killed a man, didn't he? Now, I wonder what Moses was thinking when he wandered in the wilderness. God, I've messed up my life. You had great plans for me, God. You really wanted to do something special with my life. You providentially preserved me at my birth. You let my Hebrew mother raise me for 12 years. You gave me an education in the University of Egypt. I understood history, geography, culture, math, science, organization. But Lord, I became angry and I killed a man. And I have totally ruined my life. When he went into the wilderness, he was 40. Five years went by. Ten years went by. Twenty years went by. Twenty wasted years. And all the time in his head, he's thinking, Lord, I'm wasting my years. From his perspective, they were wasted years. From God's, they weren't. God was training a man. Moses didn't know it. God was preparing him for something great. Moses didn't know it. For 40 years, he was saying, God, I made a mistake. God, I sinned. God, my destiny is never going to be revealed. God, I'm wandering around here in the wilderness. Have you ever made a mistake in your life? A big, big mistake. And you said, God wanted to use me at one time, but I really messed it up. I messed up my moral purity. Maybe I'll never have a happy family. I really messed my life up. I look back and I made some decisions that really were wrong. And I don't know, I'm here at GYC, but I don't know if God can use me. God appeared to Moses after 40 years at the burning bush. And God said to Moses, Moses, no matter what's happened in the past, I got a powerful future for you. Amen. Through the glory and presence of the fire of the Spirit. The Lord can purge our hearts, empower our lives, and send us out even if we think we failed. God still meets us in our wilderness wanderings. Still the Holy Spirit comes to us. So, Exodus chapter 3. We're looking there at verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, but the bush was not what? Consumed. What did that fire represent? It represented the glory of what? God. Because verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. I am the I am that speaks to you from the bush. I am 
through my living power, the pillar that guides you by night. I am the cloud that protects you by day. I am your strength to overcome the Amalekites and the Edomites and the Moabites. I am your manna, your food that will fall from heaven. I am the rock, water that comes from the rock. I am the I am. And so the, the symbolism of fire represents the presence of God through the ministry of his spirit, who is our all-sufficiency. Every time you read fire in the Bible, it's the presence of God. A pillar of fire leads Israel by night. And what does that pillar represent? The presence of God that's leading them. When they made the sanctuary, and they made the most holy place, and when the Israelites made the Ark of the Covenant, there were two angels on the top of the ark, and what was in the middle of that? The cherubim, right? the, the, the Shekinah glory. And that fire represented what? The presence of God. Can you think of other experiences in the Old Testament that reveal the fire as the presence of God? Mount Sinai, enshrouded in the glory or the fire, the presence of God. Some more. What other ones? Somebody, Gideon? Sure. The, what, what do you mean about Gideon? Pictures and what's in the pictures? Fire. fire, torches, which is the presence of God. Somebody give me another one. Fire, the presence of God in the Old Testament. Pentecost. Pentecost, that's New Testament. We're going to come there, yes? Cloud of fire. Elijah, Mount Carmel, sure. Um, the amazing parallel with that one on Elijah and Mount Carmel. For three and a half years, there's been a famine in the land, right? Three and a half years, 1260 days. 1260 days, 538, 1798, you know, symbolism. Elijah translated without seeing death. Elijah raised up after the literal drought. The Advent movement, the remnant raised up after the, the spiritual drought. Uh, Ahab and Jezebel, church and state unite. Death decree, they, they want to kill Elijah. Elijah calls them to the Ten Commandments. So... 1260 years, 538 to 1798, God raises up his remnant, his Elijah movement. They go out to proclaim his law. The fire falls, the presence of God in the latter rain power to finish God's work. And the cloud comes with the rain. You know, you see the parallelisms. But again, the fire there represents the presence of God that beats back all forces of hell. Now, you come, let's come to the... Uh, you can come to the book of uh, Ezekiel. You have fiery streams. Let's just look at Ezekiel for a moment. Ezekiel chapter 28. This foundation is extremely important. It's following a biblical principle that William Miller established. And what was Miller's principle? Let the Bible do what? Let the Bible do what? Interpret it what? Self. So, when I read in Revelation about fire coming down from heaven, do I have to interpret that as some nuclear holocaust? No. no. What do I interpret that as? If fire is the glory and presence of God, that's the genuine fire, the false fire must be what? The glory or presence of Satan, you see. So, the fire coming down from heaven that works false miracles is a false Holy Spirit movement. It's a false spirit movement rather than opposed to the true. See, when you have, you, you let the Bible interpret itself, and we're going to go into that deeply this afternoon. Ezekiel chapter 28. Ezekiel chapter 28. And we're going to look there at Ezekiel 28, verse 14. 
Ezekiel 28, verse 14. You remember Ezekiel 28 is always speaking about, is, is that great uh, discussion of Satan up in heaven. And it says in Ezekiel chapter 28, the end of verse 12, You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Who's this that was in Eden, the garden of God? Who was that? Satan or Lucifer. Every precious stone was your covering. The Sardis, Topaz, Diamond, Barrow, Onyx, Jasper. Where are those stones? They're up in heaven, aren't they? They're in the New Jerusalem. They're in the capital of the universe. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes, he was a great musician, was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub, that's Lucifer, that covers. Now, significance of that, the anointed cherub that covers, okay? When you look at the earthly sanctuary, there were two, what's another word for cherub? Angels. There were two cherubs beaten, formed of gold, right? And where were those two cherubs that were formed of gold in the earthly sanctuary? Where were they? The where? They were over the Ark of the Covenant. So the Bible says that Satan was an anointed cherub. What does anointed mean? Chosen, set aside. Gabriel was an anointed cherub. So Satan was Lucifer. Lucifer was an anointed cherub that covers. He was one of the, the angels that had one of the highest positions in heaven next to the Ark of God, next to the throne of God. Wow right by the Shekinah glory of God. That's why his rebellion was so significant. Because if anybody should have known of God's character, it was Lucifer, the anointed cherub, not any angel. Then it says very clearly here, you walk back and forth in the midst of the what? Fiery stones. And what does fire represent? What is it saying? Lucifer, you were one of the the chosen angels. You were next to the throne of God. You were in the midst of the glory and the presence of God. So fire, the glory of God. Fire, the presence of God. Fire, the what? Power of God. Then, New Testament now, Acts chapter 2. We read in Acts chapter 2 that... God had given a promise in Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1, verse 4, 5, and 6. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the what? Wait for the promise of the Father, and that's the promise of the Holy Spirit, which he said, you have heard of me, for John truly baptized with water. See, Jesus promised in Luke chapter 24, verse 49, that we read that the Father would send the Holy Spirit. John, in Matthew 3, verse 11, says you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit and with water. The fulfillment of that baptism of the Holy Spirit and with fire is on Pentecost in the early reign. Verse 5, John truly baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 8, but when, the, when you, receive, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be witnesses unto me. I've had a Pentecostal say to me, are you baptized with the Holy Spirit? I say, praise the Lord, brother, I am. He says, how do you know? 
And I said, I speak with tongues. He said, what? You're an Adventist? Yeah, I speak with tongues that everybody can understand when I preach. I don't want to speak with tongues that nobody can understand when I preach. I speak with tongues when I, when I preach that people can understand. I speak English when I'm with Americans so they can understand me, you see. The greatest evidence that you've been baptized by the Holy Spirit is a transformed life that reveals the fruits of the Spirit and places a passion in your heart to witness. It is not to speak, as I'll show you this afternoon, in aesthetic utterances that nobody understands. The greatest evidence you've been baptized by the Holy Spirit is that your transformed heart leads you from a selfish to a selfless life and you have one passion and that's the witness. Because that's what the Bible says in verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me. You've been listening to Hope Lives 365 with Pastor Mark Finley. We hope you've enjoyed today's message and remind you that you can find more in our many ministry resources at hopelives365.com. And you can support this ministry by going to hopelives365.com slash donate. And now, a final thought from Pastor Mark. When the latter rain of the Spirit is poured out in the baptism of fire on God's last day church, the whole earth will be filled with the what? Glory of God. And the glory of God is His character. And what is the baptism of fire? It is immersion in the presence and power and glory of God. And when does that occur? When the fire of the Spirit reveals sin, consumes sin, it empowers our life. 